Hi, and welcome to the Religion and Story Podcast with your hosts, Stephen, Daniel, and Michael Crouch. This week, we're going to talk about megachurches, churches that purely by their size or by their figures have a strong influence on the country and that are well known. We want to talk about some of the pros and cons of these sort of congregations, uh, what they do well, what they do poorly, what are their strengths and what are their weaknesses. And after we've talked about that, we're going to discuss what a Christian should do if they find themselves near a megachurch or attending a megachurch. What is the Christian response to participating in these sorts of congregations? So I'm going to begin by asking, what, what are some pros of the megachurch? What, what is good about these large congregations? Michael, do you have any ideas to start us off? Sure. So, first of all, a megachurch is defined as any church that has 2,000 or more members. So, purely based on the size of the congregation, you can imagine that the church was doing something that was appealing to the people that are a part of that congregation. Uh, perhaps the preacher was uh, especially... Uh, gifted at speaking and able to entice uh, the listeners to listen to the Word of God. Perhaps the, the programs or the ministries that the church had were especially appealing to the neighborhood and the people around uh, that church. We can imagine many different reasons why, but uh, megachurches are large, and because of them being large, they attracted more people. Uh, people say, oh, well, other people must like it, so maybe I would like it too. They'll, they'll, they are more likely to give church a try, even if they are unchurched themselves. So while uh, depending on the type of megachurch, the uh, denominational background, the theological leanings of that megachurch, uh, you might be more inclined uh, to support or not support the congregation. One thing we can say is that they know what they're doing. There is a reason why they've grown like that. Um, also, because of their larger size, it's more than likely that they have a large budget, which can be used to further uh, additional missions works, uh, whether it's domestic missions, local missions, serving the poor in their community, or foreign missions that are preaching the gospel uh, in faraway lands that would would not have otherwise been able to hear it. So those are kind of two of the big uh, pros that I can think of for megachurches. Dana, what do you think? Um, well, I think that you mentioned kind of three in there, that there's that they are attracting people purely by their size, so that's good. It's bringing in more people that they're just inherently doing something well to be so large would be a, another one. And then also their large budget allows them to do some cool stuff. Um, I think that's, uh, I think all three of those are pretty valid. Uh, Mega churches also have the ability, just one thing I'll say before uh, Stephen can uh, add some more, is that mega churches have the ability to serve large areas, either by having satellite congregations, so they have physical locations elsewhere, or by purely being um, a having sufficient facilities to have lots of people um, come, so they become a little bit more convenient in that way. Stephen, I think going in a little bit deeper on some of the things that you said uh, already uh, about the 
the size being uh, a pro towards the budget, which you have more dollars, less overhead uh, costs spread out. If you have more dollars coming in, um, you take care of your fixed costs pretty easily, and then you have more to, uh, ministry opportunities with the dollars that are left over. Now, what exactly are these ministry opportunities that mega churches are able to take advantage of? Um, you mentioned missionaries. Uh, if you are one person that believes that the church budget should benefit the church directly and not um, uh, unbelievers, uh, there are some uh, people that think that it is scriptural to only support uh, saints with the uh, money that is given to through a church budget. Um, so yeah, you, you, there are all sorts of ways that you can uh, cater to the spiritual lives of your members at your congregation uh, with excess amount of dollars. Um, now, at some point, you got to draw the line to: Are you ministering to people, or are you pampering them with just uh, you know treating them to? a certain number of meals every single month or whatever. Um, another thing that I think is a big benefit would be diversity. With that many people, you are almost, you are bound to have diversity with that many people uh, being put together. Now, diversity uh, is beneficial in a few ways that you are able to commune with people that have different spiritual experiences you will hear a different variety of Bible class teachers, ministers. You'll have diversity in your eldership, possibly. Um, and uh, there's a lot of other pros that go into having a diverse congregation. Um, cons that can come from that is that you may uh, lose or disconnect from some members that if there's that many people around, not everybody are going to agree on everything. And so I think what we'll probably get into later in our discussion is when you get to the size of being a mega church, a lot of people fall through the cracks. Um, and we'll, I guess that's something for us to discuss of why, how we can probably prevent uh, mega churches from falling victim to what is most commonly known as their biggest flaw of people there's so many people there how do you get everybody involved yeah. um and I, I let me go ahead and say before and i'll let you guys uh, take over but i was surprised kind of that 2000 was the number that was given for a mega church i mean i go to a fairly what i consider a large congregation of five to six hundred people how many of those five to six hundred are actually involved that's up for debate um but at at even at a church of five or six hundred, there are plenty of members that have already fallen through the cracks that are not involved uh, as hands-on as, uh, you know, you got your the 10% of the congregation doing 90% of the church's work type of a situation. But uh, what do you guys think are some of the other pros and cons that we can discuss? Uh, yeah, so before we uh, officially move over into cons, one other pro that uh, I had is um, by having such uh, a large budget, having more resources at its disposal, um, it can also provide for its congregants higher quality uh, education and, and uh, internal ministry. Um, so you'll get a, a better preacher. Um, not This is not... Uh, for certain that that will be the case, but um, probably on average that that holds true. 
that you can get a better preacher who is going to serve the congregation's needs better or any number of ministers working at the congregation who will help in different ways. That That's just one other possible um, pro. Uh, Michael, did you have any other pros before we get into some of the cons that Stephen started us on? Yeah, I, I, let me go ahead and jump a little bit off of the one you mentioned earlier, Daniel, the idea of satellite congregations. Um, and we can talk more about those. In fact, they might even fall into the con side of our discussion. But one of the pros about satellite congregations is that it allows uh, one congregation to have a footprint in several different neighborhoods. So uh, the neighborhood churches can meet the needs of that neighborhood. They can be well in tune to a, uh, a college town and have ministries that are directed towards college students, whereas another satellite congregation might be in more of a family-driven neighborhood uh, where they can emphasize uh, something like something like children's ministries and perhaps even another congregation that uh, has an elderly population. And so they can specifically tailor the needs of those satellite congregations to meet the different constituencies. Now, even if it's, uh, if it's not a satellite uh, church that all add up to a mega church, even if it's just one really big church, they can still do all of those things uh, within this larger church organization. So, yeah, that, that's a great, um, sort of segue over because like you said, let's, uh, let's talk about some cons about that. Uh, I'll first address some of the stuff that Steven said and say the, the number that Michael mentioned at the beginning is also, um, interesting to me that 2000 is our, our cutoff for official mega churches. Um, cause certainly if you've been at a congregation of, uh, 1999, um, all the way down to uh, 400. It feels like a pretty big church. Um, and uh, that people easily fall through the cracks. And that's obviously not a good thing. In fact, I, I've heard the number um, thrown out. I think in uh, Gladwell's Tipping Point, he talks about successful communities being around 150. I've also heard the number 200. Um, I may have those flipped. That... Uh, that a group cannot function cohesively um, when it gets greater than that number, 150 to 200-ish. Um, partly because you just can't learn all those names and be, uh, have uh, maintain relationships with that many people. Um, and so, certainly, yeah, when you get when you get to 2,000 people, that you're not connect. This is no longer a singular body; it's a group of bodies. Um, of miniature congregations meeting in the same building. Uh, and Michael, I think that also is relevant to what you're saying about satellite churches, um, with, uh, especially in sort of the model that you were presenting, which I, at, I think I would still say is good, uh, or that it's helpful. It also runs the risk of having independent con or have these congregations that, don't have the diversity that Stephen was mentioning. If you have a satellite congregation tailored to this neighborhood and what this neighborhood has a lot of uh, young professional families, elderly population, or low income, or whatever it may be, that they don't interact with these other populations that um, that's part of 
what you do as a, the body of Christ. And another thing that um, is a problem with smaller congregations, I feel some of them probably deal with it just fine, is that if you show up for, or if you're trying to organize an event and you can't get the numbers of people behind it to support it, it's very uh, discouraging if you don't have the full support. With a, a large congregation like that, you can just say something and just by default you're going to get a decent amount of people to show up to it whether it's well organized or not um and so yeah that's another thing just the uh the encouragement that comes with a large number of people backing uh whatever you're doing again just look at the growth of a city compared to the growth of a farm town just you know a few miles down the highway people want to be a part of what's going on michael you kind of hit on this also but um when when you're trying to organize something in the city, an event, people are going to show up to it. It's hard to get people to go away from where the people already are to uh, make something else happen. So it's that encouragement, I think, is another big pro of um, having a big group of people all have that community uh, together. So some of the cons that ha have been brought up, let's continue to talk about those and also offer some thoughts on, on what those churches can do about them. Um, as far as the, the lack of diversity that might come with, uh, purposefully planning different satellite congregations in different neighborhoods, um, I, I do want to say that that's a problem we see in the church without it being a mega church that many congregations go to the places where they think that they can attract uh, members just like them. Uh, if, if a neighborhood is going down in uh, property value, perhaps the, the congregation thinks about moving uh, to where all of their members have been moving over the course of time, or perhaps they make the choice to stay. I think whether you're a small church, a medium-sized church, or a megachurch, it is incumbent on any congregational leadership to make sure that they are not making uh, the, the choice to move away from those who are in need. Uh, I understand that members might want the building to be closer to where they are, but the largest churches, perhaps I would say, have the most responsibility. You know, if uh, I've, I've heard it said this way before that um, God loves people and God loves more people more. Uh, so as there's more of God's love to go around, those those large churches, those mega churches are most responsible for reaching out uh, to the communities that need them the most. Um, and Daniel, as you were saying, that Malcolm Gladwell 150 to 200 number, as these churches are getting larger, uh, it is uh, it is so important that the leadership of those congregations be aware of how a shepherd uh, can take care of large flocks. That it's you don't treat a, a flock of a hundred the same way you treat a flock of two thousand or four thousand. Um, you have to have help. You have to make sure that you have the right amount of resources that are necessary. Uh, let me go ahead and, and uh, introduce one other problem. We can continue to talk about these other problems as well. I think that as you have larger congregations, you also tend to have more and more ministers. 
I think I've even heard it said for every 200 uh, or maybe 150 people, you end up hiring an additional minister. So by the time you get up to 2,000 people, you could potentially have, if I'm doing the math correctly, uh, 10, 12 uh, ministers maybe if, if, if the numbers keep going up that way. Um, and when you have this proliferation of ministers, there's a tendency on the part of the, the lay people, for lack of a better term, uh, the non-paid uh, non ministers, uh, to, to give up their personal ministry. Many members of a congregation will think, oh, well, that's the preacher's job for them to do, or that's this minister's job. That's what he does, rather than taking it upon themselves to do the work that needs to be done. Yeah, Michael, I think that's a good point, that that is a big issue and possibly a way to be solving it if the, the ministers are recognizing that this is the problems that come with such a large congregation. Uh, I think that uh, it's also important to remember that a congregation, just because it has these it develops small autonomous parts, um, that, that's not an issue. Um, it's simply saving resources by reusing the building and not uh, taking up more space than you need. Um, so if a congregation of 2,000 subdivides itself organically or formally into groups of 200 um, with ministers meeting certain needs in those different groups, maybe cross um, cross group ministering that that that's not necessarily a problem um, that because we're you're right that it is an issue what we've been talking about that people will fall through the cracks but if you can manage to get people um, involved in some group at these large congregations then you you save uh, you save face in that way and it helps a lot of people. So another thing that churches are um, struggling with across the board, both small and large, is, is that we are basically uh, going out and seeking Christians that are not practicing, that have fallen away, um, and that or we're just taking, uh, stealing members from each other's congregations. And so uh, not th to say that the larger churches have more of a burden than the other ones, but I think that since they have the excess resources, they need to be focusing on uh, reaching out more to uh, the unchurched, the unbelievers, the those that are um, against Christianity, if you want to just put it at that point, uh, and, and shift their focus away from just finding uh, those people that are uh, just unpracticing Christians, uh, not to say that they need to uh, be forgotten. No, there's plenty of other congregations. And if it's, if, if they're bringing in people purely on a convenience or, uh, I don't want to accuse anybody of, uh, bringing in members based on solely entertainment, but if that's the, uh, what they're doing, then they need to shift their focus elsewhere. What do you guys think about that? You know, I, I think you're right. Uh, sometimes you hear about, uh, perhaps the reason you hear about a congregation is because of the uh, unorthodox tactics that they have, that they're doing something different. And that's what's attracting people rather than the people being attracted by the word of God. 
And that's kind of a double-edged sword that, um, you know, perhaps the, the preacher is funny or um, they do something uh, a bit different than other congregations do it. Uh, that's just being creative, uh, not necessarily being unscriptural, but, but doing something that is attracting outsiders. Um, at the same time, they're probably attracting uh, members from other congregations, people that want to want to know more about that. Stephen? And, and who's to say that these mega churches aren't attracting their members because they have an amazing community that are there for each other and doing exactly what the Bible says? Exactly. Right. And I, I think that before we accuse mega churches of stealing other people's members, we should look at how well um, other churches, other congregations were doing at serving their members in the first place, uh, serving each other. Um, not that... Uh, we go there to be served, but rather we should go to serve. At the same time, uh, different congregations do a more or less better job of encouraging their members to serve, encouraging their members to be involved in each other's lives, to, to share life together. So I can imagine that one of the reasons why the megachurch did so well is because they were already attracting people uh, well before they even started to explode and get even bigger. And you bring up another problem that is that churches across the board are facing is that the trend in our culture and society is that we, we interact with people online or uh, in other digital ways um, and that we're very, we've become a very private uh, people that we really don't go and visit with other people unless it's through texting, through calling, through messaging. And how often are we having people over to our homes or getting groups together to actually interact with them? Because we're getting our interaction through uh, media. Uh, and so is that a problem? Are, are we are, we're just replacing one with the other? Short anecdote, uh, across the street from where I work, there is a uh, church with... Uh, large neon green uh, letters on the side that say thatchurch.com. Uh, thought that was kind of funny when I was first driving by it. Uh, and then when my coworkers told me that he had visited that congregation and he went, he was going inside and people greeted him at the door or in the lobby and they handed him a, a, a pamphlet or bulletin or something like that. And apparently that that was the name of the the actual church, and they said "Welcome to thatchurch.com. Um, that's how they referred to them. I thought that was uh, that was kind of funny. They're taking the the social media aspect to a whole new level. Um, Stephen, you uh, you reminded me with your comments just now that we most of the the cons and the pros that we've been discussing have been uh, coming from. I guess an analytical point of view where we're looking at inherently in a mega church, they have a large number. What does that mean? What does it mean negatively? What does it mean positively? Um, and I think uh, it's also important for us to bring up, and you started to do this, that um, a lot of people or people in my circles have negative feelings about mega churches, um, but it's not inherently because of the size of the church. But largely, it's based on the kinds of churches that they've encountered or heard about that are mega churches. Um, and 
it's the idea of the six flags over Jesus sort of thing. You've probably heard that cliche before um, of, like you were saying, churches that are using some sort of entertainment or non-gospel to um, bring in people. And I'm sure we can talk for a long time about to what extent that is okay. Um, if, uh, if I'm having a Devo and I supply pizza, it, it, I'm, surely I'm not sinning. Um, even though teenagers love pizza and there will be places with pizza. Um, What what toppings do you have on the pizza? Yeah, the the sin would be in providing uh, Pizza Hut instead of Papa John's. That would be the true shortcoming. (laughs) That are are just a veggie pizza, period. Oh, that's that's the unforgivable (laughs) sin. So uh, no, that is something that that is something that both again smaller and larger congregations do is you come up with ways to lure people into your congregation. So what is the difference between a small congregation that has a pizza party for their youth group and a um, a larger church that has I don't know uh, this is a bad example because some people view this as a salvation issue a, a rock band to do their uh, worship so it's a different type of appeal one has you know s- scriptural impact I know and the other doesn't but again they're both using things that are luring people in to worship yes, rather think, than them being drawn in by the word like you said I think your example starts to lead us to the answer Stephen which is whenever your tactic, I guess, um, for lack of a better word, is uh, is something that it pervades the entire um, congregation. And so for worship service, if it's something that, I mean, if you had a concert at your church, um, not saying one way or another right now about um, that, but if, and you brought people in, that that seems more understandable to me. You're having something fun. You're bringing people in. You're doing it, and um, that will hopefully lead on to better um, uh, discipling opportunities. But if it if you're changing the way that you do worship purely for um, the numbers that it brings in, if you're changing your uh, theology, which is obviously that's the most drastic thing that you can do, but those things that change what the the gospel is or what worship is or what the church is, what the congregation is, that's when you start to have real problems. Yeah, we, we shouldn't be surprised that people will naturally flock to the things that they want to hear. And while that is something that does happen uh, in some congregations, I don't think that that's where we need to focus most of our attention that's something that we can universally condemn as you know compromising truth in order to attract more people to your untruth rather well, yeah, uh, yeah that's convi- exactly what I wanted to point out Michael was oh yeah and you yeah, said we're, it. you said it yeah that that's that's not inherent in a mega church that's just what people often associate with mega churches that give them a negative idea of it I was going to say that we have a recent example in the news with uh, Joel Osteen's church uh, down in Houston. Uh, that you know they were brought up recently just because they shut their doors to the hurricane uh, victims, and later I think they actually opened them up a couple of days after they said that they weren't open for, right. for yep. business. 
but Joel Osteen, he has been very famously known for preaching a prosperity gospel, which when uh, you guys want to go into exactly uh, how that min- type of ministry would work. Yeah, prosperity gospel for those uh, that are unclear is they're preaching that good things will happen to you. Um, God wants you to be happy. God wants you to have, um, in some ways, material success. Um, and, and maybe they may go to the extent to say your success is indicative of your relationship with God. Um, that gospel obviously is able to bring in a lot of people who want um, to have their positive emotions affirmed by the church and to think that it's God's will. So obviously um, a lot of Christians uh, have problem with that. As a, uh, and you guys had mentioned congregations that are really preaching a feel-good message. And uh, we're saying that if you are preaching the feel-good message without also warning the uh, listeners of uh, your ministry about the consequences uh, from missing the mark, then you're doing them a big disservice as well. And so you can't present one without the other. And that is very commonly associated with a lot of larger congregations, and that's why they grow to be uh, so large. Some of them, not all of them. Uh, but you know, when you are ministering to that many people, you better be double checking your message once, twice, three times right. because you, right. you're held accountable for what you're teaching to much many more people. Yeah, and, and some of our most prominent uh, ministers in the church today are ministering to large numbers of people. They have attracted people to the message of the gospel, and I think they would be the first ones to tell us that it's because uh, that they've been given this great responsibility that uh, much is expected of them, that, that they have to, uh, like you said, check check their message every week to make sure uh, that what they're saying is true, that th- their, their, their daily prayer is that uh, God's word would be, would be preached rather than their own glory. So... And another thing that goes along with uh, those types of ministries is that the the pulpit minister most commonly becomes the face of the congregation where the elders are really in the background and uh, which can be a problem if the congregation then uh, thinks that the minister is calling the shots or if the elders are letting the minister call the shot or some, I would think that maybe there's possibly some out there that just don't even have elders. Uh, probably yeah. not mega churches that are uh, Church of Christ, but uh, I'm sure there might be some community churches out there. I was just going to say, in their defense, they may not even believe in the eldership or in the same position that the eldership has that we believe. So, I mean, that that would be a different issue. This is why I, w- I would uh, remind our listeners to go back to our podcast about elders, where I called for ministers who are qualified to also be elders. I think that there is a strong scriptural case for that. But yeah, let's go ahead and move on, Daniel. Um, Yeah, I thought we could segue into the last part of our conversation um, and just take a few minutes to talk about uh, what it means for a member to be a part of a megachurch or for for what our leaders of megachurches um, expected to do. So I, I wanted to talk about that. You're, you're part of a mega church. What what should you do to um, 
best fulfill God's will in those circumstances? So if I am a member of a mega church, I need to be very aware that I am uh, more likely than not uh, going to get lost in this big crowd. Uh, and not only will I be susceptible to that, but other members of the congregation uh, could possibly get lost in the crowd, fall through the cracks, as Stephen said earlier. So I not only have a a obligation to plug in to the ministries, the, the work that is, that God is doing in that congregation. But I also have an obligation to engage with other people there, especially those who you think might be falling through the cracks. Uh, with a large congregation, you're likely to find people just like you that you can make, uh, quick friends with. But you also want to look for people that might not be as easy to get along with. People who, um, as as the scripture says, are are not those that are easy uh, to get along with. Um, it's when you're kind to those people, it's when you bless those people that uh, God is truly being served. So from the elder side, from the from the leadership side, I think that uh, large congregations need to make sure that they know which shepherds. Uh, are in touch with which members of the flock. If you have a large congregation, even getting over three, 400 people, you need to make sure that different elders uh, have special contact with different members of the flock uh, so that those sheep are not getting lost. If the elders have a tendency to only go along with their friends, to only spend time talking to the people that they already know best, those members of the, of the congregation, those members of the flock who they don't spend time with are either going to get lost, become jaded, or potentially cause havoc within the church. So I'd say from a minister standpoint, uh, they need to recognize that uh, there are lots of members that are not going to be uh, called upon to uh, teach classes, serve communions, lead singing. There's only so many uh, different opportunities available for uh, men or women to uh, uh, fill the roles that are needed for them in the church. So, you know, just one idea off the top of my head is put it on them to congregate with each other. Like you, many churches do what I've heard called small groups, home groups, or brothers keeper groups, things like that, where they meet in each other's homes, people that live in the the close vicinity of each other. Uh, if you have a bunch of members that live in a specific uh, neighborhood, they could all meet together. And that way they are still, uh, it gets broken down into smaller segments. And then everybody has the opportunity to uh, teach and uh, fellowship with each other and actually be heard and involved with each other. So, Stephen, you're reminding me of uh, a case study I heard about what at least used to be, might still be, the largest uh, church in the United States, Willow Creek in Illinois. I think it's outside of Chicago. Um, one of the things that they did, because they knew that not everyone would be involved in the typical services of the church, uh, they went along with the idea, what, what we think of now, that when you hear someone say, well, there's an app for that, you know, there's an app for everything. Uh, they would go along with the idea that there's a ministry for that. There's a ministry for literally everything you could think of. Uh, there was a ministry for uh, people to make clothes uh, for for those who needed them. There was a car repair ministry. 
There was a handyman ministry. I mean, just everything that you could think of, any way that you could think of a community functioning with each other, they tried to incorporate that into the church as a way to serve each other. So, and since I have had experience with home groups or community groups, and you guys have as well, the common problem is about half your members don't go to them. I thought it was the food. Then brown bag it. Choose your own food. Uh, that should not be a problem from getting people there. So a minister or the eldership should recognize that as the problem and point the finger at the people in the congregation that are falling short and say, get your behinds to a home group. This is your opportunity to serve. If you are not being involved with this church, that's basically you showing up taking from us and not giving anything back. That's not how a church works. And the ministers and elders, that's where your feel-good message starts and where you got to start, you know, get onto your members a little bit and say, you got to get involved. Stephen, I don't know if ministers should use that kind of language when they're talking to their <laughs> congregants. Behind? Behind? I, I almost said butts. There oh, are children I'm listening. Sorry. We'll have to change the rating on the in the iTunes store. Um, I think that y'all hit on really the, the biggest things is making sure that you are a part of some group um, so that you don't fall through the cracks. Uh, even if you are part of a larger congregation, and we talked about this earlier, uh, that you are part of a, a smaller subgroup of the congregation. And um, I also think that, uh, Stephen, you talked about the community aspect being or being able to join, or Michael, you talked about being able to join in some uh, ministry. I think those are all great ideas. Um, but regardless of uh, how the, these members are part of their congregation, how the ministers are making sure that all of their members are involved, uh, I think it's important for us to remember that these people um, are trying to be a part of God's kingdom. And in that effort, we applaud them um, in every regard. Uh, and we, of course, uh, wish these congregations great success as they bring in more people than ever um, to know God's will um, as uh, the, these congregations and the church move forward. That's it for today. We'll have a brand new episode for you next week. Check out our blog at religionandstory.wordpress.com and leave us your feedback. See you next time.